again everyone and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, I am Aaron McFarling, sports columnist of the Roanoke Times. Andy, it's coming man. Football is coming. We just get we just got back from the ACC football kickoff, which was earlier this year. Everything's been moved up just a bit this year and I think uh, fans are probably excited about that. Um, I got one more vacation to wedge in here next week. And you've got one, I think, coming up. But yep, this week as well. Last uh, last trip to the beach before we get down to, to work here. I'm heading to the West Virginia hinterlands, as I do every year. And we'll talk a little West Virginia in this podcast. But we'll also talk about all the things that we talked about with Justin Fuente and Cam Phillips and Andrew Matua-Puaka, who were the representatives at the uh, ACC football kickoff in Charlotte. Andy, let's, let's the first topic we should get to, I think, is uh, what you wrote about, actually, uh, for the next day's paper, getting into sort of the fact that, that Justin Puente is, is still kind of beating himself up over that Clemson ending and how they didn't get it done. Uh, briefly summarize what you wrote and um, if any of it surprised you, his reaction to that. Uh, maybe a little bit, just because you always hear football coaches say, you know, you have 24 hours to either enjoy this win or lament this loss. And then you have to put in the rearview mirror. And they do that during the course of a season because you can't let a game like that beat you twice or be too, you know, floating on cloud nine. All of a sudden you get taken down a second week because your your head's in the clouds. So uh, to hear him just sort of be that honest and candid about, you know, that game still really bothers him. The ending of that, I mean, he thought they had it. And and really they got down. uh, I know they ended up the 23, but I think they actually got inside the 20 or to the 20-yard line before they got backed up with a penalty. Uh you know, that's really, really close to beating a team that would go on to win the national championship. And he had it in his mind that he was going to go for two. You know, that's a he was going to be a Gerard Evans pass run option. Uh, you know, I, I think you get in a situation like that, Clemson's gassed. It's at least a 50-50 chance if you can score a touchdown to get to that point. And they didn't get to that point. Uh, Clemson defense held. Uh, I was kind of surprised when it happened because I, I thought they had all the momentum. I mean, they were going down the field. I thought Clemson was tired. Uh, I thought they had everything going in their favor. They didn't do it. And, you know, Fuente was honest about it. He's like, you know, that still bothers me. It bugs me because they were right there. He didn't really he's, – he's not one for moral victories. And I think he looked at that and he said, you know what, that was a game that we could have won. And, and it, it kind of bugs him. So, you know, you like to hear that kind of honesty from your coach. Because sometimes it'll be like, oh no, that you know, they're all they're all blend the same. It's like, no, some hurt more than others, and that that was a pretty big one. That uh, it kind of shows you the competitive nature that Fuente has, and uh, you know, to transition that into this year, you know, I think he went to the off season. Uh, he told his team, you know, a lot of people are going to say, uh, you guys have arrived, you know, you won the coastal, and he's like, that's not true. Uh, and you're going to hear a lot of other people say, oh, you lost Evans, Ford, Hodges, Sam Rogers, all those guys. Uh, you're not going to be any good this year. He said, that's also not true. There's a middle ground to this somewhere. Uh, and it depends on how hard you work, how much you put into it, uh, you know, all the coach speak that you would say at that point. But he's right. I mean, this isn't going to be uh, the best team Virginia Tech's ever had, I don't think. This isn't going to be the worst team that Virginia Tech has had in a while. So I, I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. And, you know, there's a, a lot of uh, range of what this season could be, and it kind of depends on what they make of it uh, in this preseason and, and working into the season. 
Think about the dominoes that fall if, if Tech does win that game against Clemson. We're having an entirely different discussion at the ACC football kickoff about the strength of the league and everything because well, Clemson's not playing for the national title, right? Maybe. Uh, uh, I mean, the, the playoff exists now that so you can lose and still get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the you know the knock against uh, Clemson in that case would be they weren't a, a champion, right. a conference champion. Uh, but a non-conference champion got in anyway. Ohio State got in. Uh, Grant, I think that was a one-loss team. I think that would have opened the door for a team like Penn State. But then all of a sudden, you know, I mean, how many Big Ten teams do you have in that game? I, I'm not sure I would have played out. I know that Clemson would have been sweating it going into the selection day rather than just being comfortable and getting in. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about the year two thing, I think that is a very good perspective that, that Puente has that, you know, that he truly does believe that it's a it's a clean slate and it is it is up to these guys uh, that they do have back uh, and the new guys to to figure out what this team is going to be all about. You know, I just peeked over. We're taping this at your house, um, home studio today. Yeah, and I'm looking over. You were talking about coach speak earlier, and I see <coughs> on your bookshelf you have All In by Gene Chizik. How, I got I've got Let Me Be Frank by Frank well, Beamer as well. That's a necessity. I've got that one on my. How is that Chiswick book? Have you even cracked that open? Oh, I read, I read it. I did a review of it before it was released to the public. It's pretty uh, glorify, glorifying of the coach. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually, in my review of it, I'm like, you know, where's everybody else in this book? I, I think, uh, you know, <laughs> Ch- Ch- the way, it was obviously ghostwritten by another writer, but a lot of it is like, oh, I saw this in Cam Newton right away. I said, we've got to ride this guy. I'm like, I recall Gus Malzahn had a pretty big role in that, too. I was like, where are the other coaches in this? And uh, I thought that was kind of – for a book titled All In, it seemed to be very much about him. And, you know, it's his book. It's about him. But uh, I think that might have bothered some of the Auburn coaches down there at the time. But the, those books are generally you – know, if you're a fan of the team, you like them a lot. If you're a neutral party reading it, you're like, get a load of this guy. Like, you've got to be kidding. Like, the, the sort of cult of the coach – I think if, if you're a neutral observer of it, it just seems ridiculous from the outside. But obviously fans love to read that kind of stuff. No doubt. Well, speaking, speaking of, of, of the look-at-me mentality here, uh, Cam Phillips, uh, he went all in with his outfit. Um, I love Cam Phillips. Uh, I think it was great that he – what was the quote that went they had despite – one of Despite how Cam is dressed, they're going to represent our university very well these couple days. That was a nice little, you know, he started, you know, winking at the time. Right. So, um, what'd you think of his outfit? It was pretty good. I, I find it funny at these things that if you have any sort of like uh, flair or anything in this room of like, you know, frumpy Dockers clad <laughs> sports writers, we're wearing like a polo sh- shirt with the least noticeable nacho cheese stain on it. Like, of course, everybody's going, oh, my gosh, look at this guy. This guy's got style to, to go. It's all over the place. I think last year uh, Ben Bulware had some pretty flamboyant outfit like that. Uh, let's just say it doesn't take much to win the Fashionista of the Week award. But, no, it was a nice outfit. It was uh, you know, a nice bronze double-breasted jacket, as he explained to us. He didn't say the uh, designer. I thought he was going to – I guess that maybe is a – a no-no in the NCAA. You can't uh, promote anything like that. Huh. Uh, but then he had the uh, the Dwayne Wayne, uh, not Dwayne. Yes, Dwayne Wayne. Yeah. The transcription mistakenly said is Dwayne Wade, who I think also wore those actually at a post-game press conference one time. But the flip-up glasses uh, that Dwayne Wayne popularized three decades ago on a different you, world. What did you think of the Dwayne Wayne character <clears throat> in a different world? I never found him to be very appealing as a as a viewer. Of I the show. only vaguely remember that show. 
Uh, I thought he was sort of like like the goofy sidekick in year one, and then like he became more of a main character as the show went on. It's like I, he they gave them the glasses so he would be like the crazy guy at school, <laughs> right, and then right. all of a sudden he's like one of the lead characters in the show. I was actually surprised that Cam Phillips even knew who that was. Well, we'll get into what I mean, he that show's 30 years ago. He was not born when that show came out. No, he doesn't remember the West Virginia rivalry, uh, which <coughs> we'll get into in a bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, Cam, I mean, the, the natural progression of that, of course, you had the questions of, uh, you're wearing a shiny outfit. Does that mean you're ready to shine this year? I mean, just horrible just, transitions. <laughs> would you say you're on cloud nine? I mean, that's, that's kind of how it was, but... Uh, there is a natural. I mean, you can see the lead in your head, you know. Of uh, oh well, he dressed up like uh, like a million bucks, and he's ready to you know prove it on the field that he's a a number one guy. Uh, talk about you know Cam's role this season. I mean, what? Uh, how much is that going to change now that Isaiah's gone? Now that Bucky's gone? Well, I I kind of did a variation on that lead because we're talking to Andrew Matuabuaka. He's like, we see those shades all the time. Right. Like he's worn those forever, and that was sort of my lead. It's like. Yeah, you're noticing Cam Phillips at this thing. He's been pretty good for a while, though. He's just now having his chance to be the guy. Now that, you know, Isaiah Ford, Bucky Hodges, you know, the coverage that we gave them had just blotted out the sun. You couldn't see anything else there at receiver. And Cam Phillips has been a really good receiver over his career. I think he's the fifth leading uh, receiver in Virginia Tech history. Uh, 905 yards this season. He'll break Isaiah Ford's record. Uh, so this is a guy that could go down as the leading uh, receiver in school history and we're talking about him like, I don't think, can he be a number one guy? I mean, he's had a tremendous career to this point. Uh, it will be interesting. I mean, he was he was very candid about uh, Isaiah Ford sort of being the spotlight guy. And he's saying, you know, uh, there were times I'd ask myself, like, why am I not being featured like he is? And uh, he didn't do that as a slight to Isaiah. He said it just motivated him to work harder, to be better. Uh, you saw him at the end of the year last year. He really thrived. And he was playing in the slot at that point, but I think he had like 24 catches in the last three games, 12 in the ACC title game. Uh, Belk Bowl MVP had 115 yards in that game. Uh, just came on very strong. So I, I think he's a, a very good playmaker. I think you'll see more of it this year. He's sliding back outside, so there's sort of a question of uh, how's he going to do? Is he going to get targeted as much as last year? Is he going to be able to make the 50-50 plays that Ford and Hodges made uh, throughout their career? But I think he's plenty capable. And I, I think uh, it's been there for a while, and, and just right now, I think people are starting to notice him specifically a bit more. And the other representative for Tech was Andrew Matuapuaka, of course, the linebacker. Uh, let's use him, I guess, as a vehicle to talk a little bit about the defense. How good do you think Virginia Tech's defense <coughs> will be? What did Matuapuaka have to say about the defense and its potential? Well, I mean, he says what he always says about the defense. Our goal is to be the best defense in the country. And when your defensive coordinator is Bud Foster and you have that kind of talent that they have, uh, that's a reasonable goal. I mean, that, that's not like, oh, it's some ridiculous thing that you're putting out there that you'll never accomplish. I mean, they may not be statistically the best defense in the country, but they're pretty good. Uh, you know, the back seven, pretty much everybody is back. Chuck Clark is the only guy who departed. Uh, you've got Terrell Edmonds sliding into that free safety role. You've got Reggie Floyd stepping up at Rover and De Devin Hunter. Uh, you know, the stud freshman they have coming in could possibly get on the field right away. Everybody else is back. Those linebackers are solid, but Tua Pawaka, Tremaine Edmonds, Mook Reynolds. You've got that cornerback trio that's really good. Uh, the key will be how that defensive line comes along. And uh, I, I think there's a lot of promise there. I mean, remember when, you know, they played Miami last year. Kenneth Kanan was hurt. Nigel Williams was hurt. And you're sitting there going, 
I don't know. How are they going to get to the quarterback in this one? They had nine sacks in that game. Right. And Woody Barron was a wrecking crew in the middle. He's yeah. gone. Uh, but, you know, Ricky Walker, Tim Settle, I think there's a ton of potential in that defensive tackle rotation. Trayvon Hill really showed up in that Miami game. Uh, Vinny Mahota started last season, you know, basically okay with one arm for the last couple games because he had that separated shoulder. I think that's a real solid starting four, but you got to get some depth there. Uh, depth all across the defense. I think that'll be the issue is creating that. But overall, you know, one to 11, that's a pretty good starting defense. And, and I've said it many times before. I will go over uh, what I picked on my all ACC preseason ballot, the order uh, in a little bit here. Uh, you know, Bud Foster's defenses have carried far more questionable offenses than this in the past to, to ACC championships. Right. Uh, maybe the ACC wasn't as good back then, but, you know, I think Fuente is a very capable offensive coach that's going to figure out a way to move the ball and get yards, even if the pieces aren't all completely there. Uh, I think Bud's group can carry this team for a while, though. Yeah, I usually go into the season with the assumption that Virginia Tech's defense is going to be very good. And uh, only start changing that when I notice leaks and cracks, which is rare. I mean, every every now and then it happens, but they, they you know, they have a track record that, that you can trust. Uh, so I think most of the questions we'll have will be on the other side of the ball. What did you think of, uh, of Justin Fuente's demeanor? I found him to be pretty relaxed in that setting. Um, you know, he's kind of a, a buttoned-up guy most of the time, and uh, I don't know that he particularly enjoys media sessions. I mean, I think he finds it a necessary evil, but uh, he's friendly enough. But what did you think of his demeanor at this event? I mean, speaking for like an hour plus. Well, I I think he's much better at these sort of things in the off season than he is in the week-to-week grind of the regular season. I think that's when he gets very guarded and closed off. It's, it's like, when, what am I going to give away answers for when we've got a game in five days? Right. Like, why, why would I give away any information at that point? So I think that's when it sort of clenches up a little bit. But these sort of things, you know, quarterback club meetings they do in the off season, I think he's a very charming person to talk to like that. And he was at, at ease at this thing. And, uh, you know, probably should be after last year. Ten wins, coach of the year, uh, you know, got the team back to the ACC title game, even though that sort of sticks in his craw that they didn't win that game. Uh, I think it was a pretty successful year. And certainly he'd come in a lot more relaxed than a lot of guys that are facing a little more heat at their current institutions. So, uh, no, I, I thought you're right. It was pretty relaxed demeanor. Uh, I think that's just sort of how he is. I think that's his natural uh, personality coming through in those situations. And, you know, he preaches, don't get too high, don't get too low. I think that's part of it, is he's just sort of, you know, you know he's not going to make a bold prediction about how they're going to do, whether it's going to be great or whether it's going to be bad. He's going to be like, you know, we're going to work, and we'll see how it falls at the end. And yeah. That's why I, he almost said those words exactly uh, when we were talking to him. Yeah, I asked him if he had any stories that <clears throat> illustrated the, the celebrity of Bud Foster in, in the New River Valley. And uh, he didn't have a specific story, but he said, you know, every time they go out, uh, everyone knows Bud in town, of course, and there'll be times where people will just come over and start talking to Bud, and Bud will, you know, try to be polite and say, "Hey, uh, do you want to talk to Coach Puente?" And, and Puente's like, "It's okay, Bud. You know, you can you can have your conversation." And, but to think that the head coach isn't isn't even acknowledged by some of these people who just want to come over and and, and get with Bud is kind of kind of funny. I, I, I always like when you ask somebody like, "Hey, you have any good stories about this guy?" And I was like, "How to." Not many that I can tell. That's always what the response is. It's like, come on, they're all not like, 
R-rated stories out there. I'm sure if you thought about it, you could come up with some good. It's tough. It's tough to put somebody on the spot. They got any good stories? It's like, well, let me go to my Rolodex here and <laughs> list off the stories. I get that answer a lot. It's like, oh man, I don't know if I can tell them. It's like, come on. Yeah, Just a little was, bit. Give me a little bit. Well, it was enough for a a blog. <clears throat> a blog. That said, I have a pretty I have a pretty good Bud Foster like uh, star story that I I don't know if I could tell on the. It's not because of Bud. It's just uh, the nature of the story probably wouldn't be suitable for the podcast. Interesting. Well, I look I'll tell to you to it afterwards. Yeah. It's a little – I won't even get into it. <laughs> well, then I'll tell it next there we Next go. time we there meet we and, and, and take the brunt of the criticism. Um, yeah, as I mentioned, I'm heading to West Virginia next week. I wrote a column about the West Virginia. I know we're going to write a ton about Tech West Virginia in the next seven weeks. But uh, I was interested to know what these guys thought of West Virginia and the rivalry and what they thought was uh, they didn't know anything about it and it's it's amazing to me I mean it feels like yesterday that they were playing each other every year but it's been 12 years since these two teams played um, and I thought I thought it was interesting that Justin Puente has made it a point to try and sit these guys down and educate them as to what they're getting <coughs> into because as one fan noted noted to me on Twitter he said look this is the first time these guys are going to play a team that fan base really hates now i think there's some dislike for pittsburgh i think there's some dislike for miami but i think he's i think that fan was right i mean this is a this is a, a really good old-fashioned nasty type of uh rivalry between the two fan bases yeah i mean virginia is a little bit there but it's it's it's, it's yeah. not the series has been so one-sided that i don't even know how much you can be like oh those just makes my blood boil those cavaliers it's like i think most hokies fans go into the game going uh, we'll beat them again and then do it again next year it's the big brother little brother thing right yeah now. right yeah. now it is yeah certainly in football yeah. uh, that's the case uh it's, it's interesting west virginia i mean it's been 12 years since they played and you think uh you know what are the oldest players on this team right now 22 yeah something like that so they're 10 Youngest guys coming in, 17, 18. They're five and six years old last time they played this game. And a lot of them are from out of state, so it's not even like there's a regional thing where they understand West Virginia. Oh, it's got Virginia, and we should dislike them. Uh, so, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Uh, fortunately, they have Bud and Charlie Wiles still around who right. can tell some war stories of the days uh, back when they played West Virginia. Uh, you know, something I might explore a little bit, the stories, the, the rivalry of the past, and, like, you know, how heated it was at the time. I mean, they stopped it for a reason. Uh, it had gotten to the point where, uh, you know, I think uh, Jim Weaver said that some fans at West Virginia had thrown bags of urine or something like that at Virginia Tech fans. And, and obviously the Marcus Vick thing with how he responded to the uh, double salute there to the West Virginia crowd. That, that was at West Virginia, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just got to the point where it's just like you, you felt like something right, – like. Something dangerous could happen at some point if that rivalry would have continued the way it was. So I, I guess the fact that they do it now, 12 years later, and the players are like, uh, I mean, I guess we're supposed to dislike them. Uh, you know, it, it worked. <laughs> the cooling off period worked. It was successful uh, that it took this long. And I, I think doing it at a neutral site like Landover, uh, FedEx Field, NFL Stadium, pretty, uh, you know, the neutral site like that, uh, that'll help too. It's, it's not like it's going to be oh, you're going into Morgantown again, or they're coming down to Blacksburg again, and those uh, feelings uh, get pitched up again. I mean, it will in a couple of years when they do that on the home sites, but this is probably a good way to reintroduce that rivalry. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I love the stronghold 
mentality. You know, you're coming to our place, and we're coming to your place, and we're taking it over. Uh, I love that about college football, but you're right. I think for the first game back, a neutral, and I don't really like FedEx Field very much, but, uh, uh, you know, that, that atmosphere for Boise was good uh, years ago, and I think this, you know, I think USC, they played USC there once. Uh, I actually covered that game. I was, helping, that? I was helping out Nate Crossman. Uh, in Lynchburg once I got up there. Those were two hellaciously good games, I think, <coughs> at least for a while. The, the the Boise one went down to the wire, and uh, the USC one had uh, Reggie Bush doing some things that were pretty uh, electrifying. They played Cincinnati there in the forgettable game at Landover. I've forgotten that. That was the one where Kyle Fuller uh, lost. He came up too far. on a. It was almost like a pseudo-Hail Mary. Yeah. Cincinnati caught it in the end zone uh, for a touchdown in the final seconds. That's right. It was, it was a horrible game for three quarters, and then it became interesting in the last quarter. Uh, then they lose it in heartbreaking fashion. So like they're that. 0-3 at, at FedEx. <clears throat> yeah, it's not uh, – it's not a friendly confine oh. there, uh, so that'll be an interest. I don't know if that has any bearing on this game. I, I doubt it does, but it might, it might be enough to get me to eighteen. Oh yeah, it, it'll be a it'll be a storyline. Don't get me wrong; I will mention that fact beforehand. But you know, like most things, it, the past does not predict the future in sure. these kind of uh, venues like this. But it's it's just an interesting little. Well, they haven't won there. That that's a place that's sort of been a a difficult uh, difficult road bump for them. Don't forget, I wrote all about. Heinz Field last year when they went up there oh, yeah. and, and they got it done. So sometimes the House of Horrors, Heinz Field. Sometimes they need to read that House of Horrors thing to understand what they're getting into, and then they can overcome it. That's uh, what's all about. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they. I'm sure some coach brought that up before that game. Sure. All right, let's let's talk about your divisional picks. Um, I will Prepare even, to get I, roasted I will here. Admit that I did not fill out a ballot, um, and that's uh, that's. A, I, I shirked my duties as a member of Axma. <laughs> they even give it to you early. I know. Come on, I'm man. sorry, guys, but um, I'm interested in your picks. Yeah, man, I know you've been. This is all you've been thinking about, pretty much, other than your vacation time. Um, well, all I thought about Friday morning when I <laughs> put the picks together. Quick, I've been formulating what I thought the my order might be for a while, but then at the end, I still I was like, I just can't figure it out. I kind of just went with the team. All right, let's start with the coastal. Who you got? I went with Miami, and I know Hokies fans will hear that and be like, oh, the U's back, right? The U's back because they've never won it ever since they get there. People always think that they're going to be there. I still went with them, and this was – I took them over Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. Those are my top three. Those are the three teams I think will be in contention. Uh, and any one of those three I think can win it. I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable going with any one of those three, so that tells you how wide open I think this will be this year. And, and, and I do have a little bit of intrigue about Pitt. I'm curious how Pitt does with Max Brown, the quarterback transfer there, and I think Narduzzi, you know, last year notwithstanding, can put together a pretty good defensive game plan. So uh, those are the teams. I went with Miami. They get Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech at home. I think that matters a little bit. Uh, I'm looking at Miami and Virginia Tech, and I see the same team, essentially. I mean, it's they've got some skill guys back in certain spots. They have a really strong defense, and they got a huge question mark at quarterback. Uh, so between those two, I couldn't really go one way or another. I thought Georgia Tech, I know they're replacing the quarterback, but I saw Matthew Jordan last year in Blacksburg just take apart the Hokies in that game. Uh, so I, I think they're going to continue to roll, and, you know, you look at Georgia Tech every year and you go, ah, where are the star players in this team? It's like, that's not a team that needs star players to win. It needs system players to win, and I think they have that. So 
Uh, with the number of returners they have on their offensive line, I think that offense is going to be pretty good. I think the defense will be a question mark, but still good enough to keep them in a bunch of these games. And uh, That's the order I went. Miami, Georgia, Tech, Virginia Tech. I see you have North Carolina sixth. I do. It's jarring. They lost so much on offense. I mean, you talk about how much Virginia Tech lost, but they lost like their top four receivers, their top running back, Mitch Trubisky, who was the number two pick in the draft. Two or three, whatever, whatever he went. He yeah, the Bears traded up to get him. Uh, they lost some pretty good defensive players too. I just, uh, it seems like that is a lot. Uh, I, I think that's going to be hard to overcome, especially when it's not like you can be like, well, you got Bud Foster's defense to carry you in this situation, or Miami, you have a top twenty defense like they had last year. North Carolina's defense has been the problem spot ever since Larry Fedora has been there. So, and you lose your coordinator, Gene Chizik, no longer. Uh, coaching, he's all in in Auburn as a, right. a, a family man, as, as a dad down there. So uh, I ended up picking Duke ahead of North Carolina, and I had uh, Virginia seventh. Yeah, I spent some time with uh, Quinn Blanding <clears throat> from Virginia, and he was he was a joy to talk to. He's one of those guys. That I think was that kind of surprising? He he doesn't seem like you know uh, we talked to Dowdy, and he's like he's not Mister Personality the whole time. Yeah, I think he kind of showed it a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, I think he's put the switch now. You know, with his decision to come back when, and not try the NFL waters. To, to have some fun in addition to leading this team. and and um, But I'll have some more on him in the future. I mean, he's a big movie guy. He watches every movie that ever comes out, regardless of genre. Uh, but he won't eat popcorn. That's kind of interesting. doesn't like getting it stuck in his teeth. It drives him crazy. So, wow. Yeah. I mean, they have dental floss. They do. They do. It's a remedy. Uh, well, you know. Atlantic Division, you got what? You got Florida State first, Clemson second? Uh, yes, Florida State first, Clemson second. We should mention that we're recording this a Sunday. We're probably going to post this on a Tuesday. So the actual order will be out uh, on Monday. I My guess is it's going to be Florida State and Miami are the two picks. I can't wait for that because it's always, oh, I can't believe what the media picked, says the media. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the media is just going to. No, I, I think it'll be Florida State, Miami. I mean, all, all the offseason magazines, I think, have predicted that. Phil Steele predicted that. I, I think it's sort of going that direction. Uh, you know, I, I think Clemson will be pretty good this year, though, and I think they get Florida State at home. Uh, so that kind of plays into this whole thing. I mean, that defense is not like, – the cupboard is not bare at Clemson. That's the one thing that I think people should know is they've recruited well enough that new guys are coming up the ranks. Uh, had Louisville third. NC State fourth, and then just sort of a muddle at the bottom. The order I picked was Wake Forest, Syracuse, Boston College. Do you think Phil Steele's real name is Phil Steele? Or is that a Max Power situation? Is that a Max Power situation? You don't make love to Max Power. You strap in and feel the G's. Well, let's talk about Boston College, because obviously the shine has gone off of Adazio. I guess guess it's been a couple years. Yeah, this is not recent. Like, you've been the last holdout on this. Like my dude Adazio, it's like they've been pretty bad for a couple years. You got years. two of my dudes in last place. You've got Adazio <laughs> in last, and you got Bronco in last. And uh, is 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 Adazio going to survive this season? Do you think? Well, they have a new AD there, I think, don't they? Uh-huh. Uh, that might play into it. I, I I still feel like he's good for BC. Like he sort of recruits what BC needs to recruit. Right. I mean, what is what is uh, Massachusetts in that area producing in terms of like star power? I mean, you have to be this power offense. I think Matt Ryan was sort of uh, an aberration. Yeah, a lot of teams missed on Matt Ryan and recruiting uh, for him to get there and, and turn into the player he was. I mean, they haven't had a player like that since uh, offensively, that's for sure. Uh, you know, the adventure, I mean, a couple of years ago, this team was 
pretty good. Went to a bowl game when nobody thought they would. Uh, you know, they beat Virginia Tech a couple times when I thought Virginia Tech maybe was the better team in those games. They just sort of have that tough style of play that can win out. And, you know, obviously Scott Leffler is there, the old Hokies offensive coordinator. Not sure a lot of Virginia Tech fans have strong opinions about him. Uh, they were awful offensively last year, but they were really awful two years ago. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily an indictment of Leffler quite yet, but uh, it's a tough situation. You're in a real, I mean, look at the, lead, the the division that you're in with the top of that, with Florida State and Clemson, you know, Louisville doing what it's doing, and then you're you're like, well, we're up in the Northeast here, and we're trying to compete with these guys. It's, it's a rough go. Yeah. Well, you have NC State number fourth in the Atlantic, and that, that would make them the best of the rest, really. Uh, is Dave Doran in trouble if he doesn't at least finish there? Maybe. I think this is year four for him. Yeah, I mean, four I or five, patience, something like that. Patience might be running out there. It is. I mean, it's interesting. They, I mean, they fired Tom O'Brien to hire Dave Doran, and Doran has done basically what O'Brien did all the time. I mean, just get him to you know St. Petersburg Bowl or Independence Bowl, whatever the lower tier bowls are in the ACC. Um, I mean. They made some questionable decisions down there. They fired Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator. He goes up to Pittsburgh, becomes a star, and now he's at LSU. So obviously Matt Canada wasn't the problem with that team. Right. Uh, I think this year is they had Jacoby Brissett for the longest time there. Uh, didn't get to very good bowl games with him. Uh, after him, it was a pretty mediocre bowl game. I, this year I think it's going to rely on their defense quite a bit. I just... I don't know. Are they going to be better than that? I mean, what are the expectations? Are you going to be this, uh, you know, upper echelon team in the Atlantic Division? Are you happy with, you know, occasionally having a team that gets a little bit higher in the bowl pecking order and going to a bowl every year? Yeah. I mean, I think this year, just given the makeup of the, of the division, if, as long as you stay ahead of Wake, Syracuse, Boston College, I think he'll be okay. Yeah, if you dip below that, then it's, you're starting to be like, okay, now what are we dealing with right. here? Right. And, uh, you know, every time a coach gets year four, year five, whatever Doran is in, uh, I think people start to ask that question. It's like, okay, you have your players in. It's had a, you give been given a couple years to, to put stuff in place. you got to start seeing some results. I mean, fair or not, that's the way that people look at that. Did you have Dave Doran last year as one of your guys? It was two years ago. I called him Dave Boren when Boren I had Doran. him. Boren Doran. But uh, did you say he was pretty good? You thought he was good? No, I thought, was, I thought he was pretty bland Maybe was when Dowdy, I was talking to him. Dowdy said he thought Dave Doran was Fantastic one, one year when you talked to him. Well, good luck to Dave Dorn. Were you talking to Dowdy after he had a couple of uh, kickoff cocktails <laughs> and he was telling you this? Did you see Barber's tweet where he showed Dowdy throwing the football? Dowdy had told me the story. I hadn't seen the tweet until after Dowdy had told me that he th- the very first throw went right in, he said. And then I watched the video and he had like 40 throws. And yeah, finally got yeah. So, Maybe uh, misremembering how <laughs> accurate he was. The precision with which he threw these quarterbacks at the – open bar uh, media events. I did not try one of those cocktails. Did you try one of those cocktails? I did. They were pretty strong. Yeah. yeah. I, I was in love with that copper ale that uh, I guess is a Charlotte beer. It's, Look at this. Look at us celebrating this ACC windfall uh, here yeah. with this free booze at the ACC kickoff. That was a nice That was a nice uh, <laughs> feature there. All right. Let's, in the spirit of uh, covering the ACC as a whole, I mean, let's, let's – we each had teams, as we do every year, outside of the Commonwealth that we went and talked to briefly with let's you, you give me one interesting fact on the three that you talked to and i'll give you one interesting fact on the two that i talked to let's start with duke interesting fact i think daniel jones is one of the best quarterbacks in the league i mean he, we saw him last year they played virginia tech uh in durham and he gave virginia tech's defense fits with the you know, running ability 
uh, pretty accurate. Uh, you get David Cutcliffe coaching the quarterback. You think he's going to be pretty good over time, and he was doing this as a true freshman. True, true redshirt freshman. I can't remember exactly what he was. Uh, so I think he's going to be pretty good long-term with them. He's going to make Duke competitive, at least in that division. Clemson. Well, I kind of mentioned before that the interesting thing I thought about Clemson, because I wrote about it uh, in the story on Thursday, is, uh, yeah, they lose all these guys, but they've recruited the top 15 class nationally the last seven years. Uh, so this is not a program that's going away just because Deshaun Watson is. I think they'll take a little bit of a step back because you don't lose a transcendent player like that and just you know, completely do what you were doing before. You lose that small margin of error. You're talking about a team that went 14-1 last year. Can they go 10-4 and four or 11-3? and three? That's, that's not quite national championship caliber, but they have uh, some hosses on defense. I mean, they, they have some really good defensive tackles. Uh, Christian Wilkins, Dex Lawrence that they've recruited over the years. Cleveland Farrell was a defensive end that they beat out Virginia Tech for uh, from Richmond area, I believe. That's uh, you know he's stepping up. You know Dabo mentioned it. it's like you know people always mention what do you do without Taj Boyd? Well they recruited Deshaun Watson. What do you do without uh, the uh, receivers that they've had in the past? Well you get Mike Williams, you get Deion Kane this year. There's always somebody that they've plugged in to replace these guys. Uh, that have been pretty good in their own right. So I, I don't think you're going to see Clemson fall off the face of the earth this year. Okay, interesting fact about Syracuse. You know, I think Eric Dungy is a pretty good quarterback. It's interesting. I had two of the teams that have quarterbacks coming back. Uh, Duke, the only one, or one of the only ones in the Coastal Division. and Virginia. Uh, you know, Syracuse, another one in the, in the Atlantic. And, you know, Virginia Tech fans saw Eric Dungy last year. I mean, he kind of peaked at that Virginia Tech game and then that Boston College game right after that, where I think he was like, 34 40 or something like that. he was just like laser precision um he got injured right after that it was sort of like a neck head injury and they were wondering whether he'd be able to come back and play football so right when he got really good last year is when he got injured uh dino baber the state dino baber's at the stage who i think is a really good coach to talk to he said historically he's noticed year two about game five or six four five or six somewhere in that range is when things start to click uh, so he's he's saying that he thinks this year uh, that could be the case where that happens. Now, is that enough to get Syracuse to a bowl game? I don't know about that. I mean, they they play LSU in their non-conference schedule for a team just trying to get to a bowl game again. That maybe is not the wisest non-conference scheduling. But uh, they, you know, I like where Syracuse is going. I think they have a unique approach with that kind of offense. And uh, yeah, I think you have to play that kind of way if you're one of those sort of middle-tier teams in the ACC. Well, Virginia fans hope that Babers is right because if, if they were to click in week five, I mean, they have a pretty easy ramp up schedule before they go to Boise in week four. Um, but if they, you know, if they could start clicking and that's sort of been the theme that Bronco was talking about is that, that there's going to be a time and we'll all know it when it happens. And it, I kind of compared it to the great pumpkin, you know, it's like, okay, if we're really sincere in this pumpkin patch forever, uh, eventually the great pumpkin's going to show up and, I think a lot of people are tired of waiting for the pumpkin, but uh, interesting. I'll, I'll give you my interesting things. Virginia, I mean, I think one of the interesting things, they do have their quarterback back in Kurt Bankert, uh, and he's not feeling any shoulder pain now. He had a shoulder injury in uh, week three or four last year against UConn that they kind of hid and didn't talk about, 
and it affected him. He was kind of scared to stay in the pocket, get swallowed up, and they got sacked more than 30 times last year. So it was a legitimate concern. Uh, but we've talked a lot about his knee and how he can run now, and that's going to open up some things with mobility. But the shoulder's going to open up some things about his pocket presence. I think he'll be able to move around a little bit and, and not fear the big hit. Isn't uh, he the first starting quarterback they've returned in, like, eight or nine years? That's a great question. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up. But, yeah, it, it's been a while. Like, I thought they would with Rocco, and then he they brought in Phillip Sims, and they messed up the whole situation. It might be a, where technically a guy was a, a season-open starter the following year, but, I mean, it seems like they had a new quarterback every single year, maybe a little bit of continuity finally for them. Yeah, they really don't have any other options <laughs> right now than, than Banker, so they need him to be good. Uh, Louisville, obviously the quarterback – uh, Lamar Jackson back, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. The interesting thing there is that they're moving him under center, moving him under center. He was exclusively a shotgun guy last year, so it would be a different look for them. Uh, you know, they wanted to do it uh, to open up some different things on their offense. That they said they're still going to do a lot of read option and those things that they did last year that were successful. But um, and Lamar's he's embracing it because you know he wants to be a pro and. In order to be a pro, you need to have some experience uh, under center for sure. And Florida State was my third team. Um, you know, Jimbo's, uh, I could listen to that guy read a phone book, man. He's hes just like his predecessor. He could that, go through it very quickly, too, with could, the way he talks. He could. And, you know, I think the interesting thing with Florida State is that they're playing Miami, or they're playing Alabama to start the season. I mean, that's, uh, you know, you've got the ties between Jimbo and, and um, Nick Saban, and uh, you just got a tremendous season opening game between that's a tough one yeah like give nick saban an entire offseason to prepare for you I, I don't think he's ever lost a game like that and yeah. it's not that they it's not that they don't lose those games they dominate those games like you know they beat virginia tech by 24 or whatever it was a couple years ago and they didn't even play that well offensively i think they had like 200 yards and they scored defensively they had a kickoff return a punt return i think uh couple years ago against Michigan, Denard Robinson didn't even couldn't do anything. I think he had one of his worst games of his career. They just embarrassed teams in those situations. So props to Florida State for actually taking on a game like that. Uh, they're opening up that Atlanta Stadium, that uh, one that's like a retractable roof that opens up like a little, I can't like a moon door. It looks pretty cool. We should talk about Berman's Debbie Downer question too to John Swafford. That was the best moment of that whole thing. It was a pretty bland Swafford opening because he didn't have anything to talk like it wasn't the oh the ACC network launch is coming. That was last year. They had the grant of rights a couple of years ago, I think. Uh, this one, it was just like things are still happening. We're pretty good. And then yeah. Berman steps to the plate and is like, Let me just crush your spirit here. <laughs> Let me just uh, check you a little bit here by mentioning all the scandals that have happened in the league over the years. And he, he went in, he's like, well, you know, there's Louisville and the Rick Pitino thing, the UNC academic investigation. There's Wakey Leaks. He, like, listed all of them off. Like, so it was, like, exposition for people who didn't know uh, the kind of scandals that were going in the ACC. It was it was the prototypical Berman question in that setting, and it was just fantastic. Yeah, it was. He said, uh, I think some people were disappointed he didn't get the word strippers in into his question. It never got on the transcript, the strippers, but he got them off to the side later and, yeah. and got the term strippers in there. I think he texted me to tell me that after the fact, <laughs> or emailed me after the fact to, to say that he got that in there. That's our Berman. All right, Michael Vick, uh, since the last time we did this, has been inducted or will be inducted into the Virginia Tech Hall of Fame. Uh, there is some hue and cry about this. There are some people who say, uh, you know, hey, you know, given what he did with the dog fighting and the 
killing of dogs. Uh, there's no way he should ever be in any kind of Hall of Fame. I think you and I are in agreement on this. That uh, we, I think we both think it's kind of the natural progression of things here, and we don't see a major issue with this. I don't know. What do I you- don't. This is going to anger uh, the ultra dog fans out there. I mean, I like dogs. Well, my dog, wife's dog, a veteran. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, know. I mean, you have a you have a three-legged beagle that you guys are uh, you own now. You so adopted. We own her, and we okay. got a new one too. We got uh, a little. Dachshund slash beagle mix. It's amazing. Okay. I had dogs growing up. Uh, you know, I think dogs are amazing. Uh, I do think that, you know, Vic served his time. He had a debt to society that he paid. I mean, he, this is an athlete, star athlete at the top of his powers who went to federal prison for 19 months up for dog fighting. I mean, think of all the things that professional athletes skate by without. Like, I mean, Ray Lewis, I mean, who knows what his involvement was in the death of two people never served prison time like right. that. I think he was in jail, well, it was pending and then uh, released shortly after. I mean, federal prison for 19 months. And he comes out and, you know, from the face of it is a changed man. I, I think he atoned for his mistakes. I think he's been a spokesman against dogfighting. I think if you would talk to a lot of these, uh, you know, people who are against dogfighting, the actual organizations that are trying to fight this stuff, I think... Vic has been a big ally in that because he's spoken against that. He was made an example of this was on the national consciousness because of what happened. Uh, so I think he's helping that cause uh, against it. If he if he came out and he was the same kind of person and you know didn't uh, you know speak against bad acts that he had in the past, I think it's one thing. But I think he's tried to move on from that, be a better person. And uh, you know if somebody's done all those things. Do you have a little bit of forgiveness in those situations? I feel like you have to move on a little bit, do you not? Well, there's a lot of debate over the Reformation, you know, how good of a, of a reformer uh, the prison system is. You know, I mean, how, how many lives are really changed by spending time in the clink? And the guy, I mean, I think he's a, he's a fine example of what you would like to see on the other side of prison. You know, I think you would like to see somebody work his way back into society and, and do some good, as you mentioned. I mean, do some good in, a, in the areas that he was doing such, such bad, such evil, really. I mean, uh, the, we don't have to go on and on about how we you know, don't like the killing of dogs. But, I mean, I think Virginia Tech has been working towards this the whole time. I mean, he's, Michael Vick has not been a pariah on that campus. Even when the, <coughs> even when the stuff really was uh, at its worst, um, there was, you know, there was still a little bit of uh, them, them sticking by him, and then there was, you know, what they got the, the Michael Vick Hall down and there. And they named a wing of their football building after him. Yeah, I mean the Michael Vick Hallway, where all the coaches' uh, meeting rooms are. Uh, they've retired his number. It's in the stadium. Uh, I mean, these are things that are honors for him already. I don't really understand how the Virginia Tech Hall of Fame is any different. I don't either. All right, well that's. Probably enough for you. You're going to get a lot of uh, responses to that. I got inundated with Facebook messages of people that, you know, let them have their say on the post, but then they started posting the, these excerpts from the book on every single post. I'm like, okay, that's not what this post is about. Like, move on from this thing. Uh, but they are relentless with it, and I'm sure we'll be with something like this. But, uh, you know, I'm the, of the opinion, and some people might argue otherwise, that He's, he's moved on from that. He's done good in his life since then. I don't know why you have to hold that over somebody forever. You know, I've, I wrote this years ago, but 
you know, they always talk about how football teams are a family, and the and the, and the university is you, you know you're always going to be a part of the university. The university is always going to be a part of you, and if you're going to live that, then you you need to you need to stick by guys when they're going through the worst of their lives. And it's his own making, of course. There's no, there's no excusing it. But um, I think there is something to be said for, you know, the, the, the easy thing I think for Tech to do would, at the, at, throughout all of this was just to say, we don't want to have anything to do with this guy ever again. And um, he, he just, he's, I mean, for a lot of people, for Michael Vick is as much uh, the, the, the symbol of Virginia Tech as, as Frank Beamer. Right. I mean, you know, the, for I mean, the, the recruiting that, that went on after that. I mean, you heard Lamar Jackson even talking about how the, the greatest compliment he got during his entire Heisman Trophy winning season was Vic saying he was five, you know, that Lamar was five times better than he was, which is not true. But Didn't he say, hey, pump, pump the brakes yeah, on that settle, a little settle bit. Down you're kind of oh, yeah. killing me with some of these things. That, it's interesting. You know, that's sort of the tack that Virginia Tech has taken with Marcus Vick. Yeah. I mean, he's sort of persona non grata around Blacksburg. And most of it is because he's never changed. Right. That's it. He's the same person or is behaving the same way as he was in 2005 exactly. or whatever year that was. He actually finally got the boot at Virginia Tech. And if, if Vick had the attitude like he did, I think he said, you know, people ain't never going to stop loving Michael Vick. Yeah. When the charges were pending and right. all that stuff, I think he had this sort of attitude that he was above it. He was beyond it. He'd beat this, and you know everybody would continue loving him. I think that attitude has changed at this point. I think that's the difference between those two. Where you can see Michael Vick did these heinous things that people have forgiven him for because he's atoned for them. And Marcus Vick did these you know, not great things, but not as heinous as Michael, and people still just treat him like he's a pariah. He's not He's not part of the Virginia Tech family. You know, I always say former Hokie. People say, there is no former Hokie. And I say, well, what about Marcus Vick? I'm like, okay, we don't consider him a Hokie anymore. I, mean, I think people have that attitude about him, whereas they don't about Michael. Yeah, I mean, the contrition, the contrition makes a lot of difference. It makes a big difference. Uh, all right, well, that's enough on that topic. Anything else you want to get to? No, I don't think so. Okay, that's good. We'll go on vacation. We'll come back. And we'll hit the bricks, man. We'll, we'll yeah. August first is when football practice starts, and we'll probably we'll probably try to get a podcast that week sometime. Yeah. Get back into it. Well, stay tuned to Roanoke.com or, or click on Roanoke.com throughout the coming weeks because you'll be seeing a lot of ACC related coverage that that came out of this event, and we're we're kind of going to parcel it out over time. And we'll get back together here shortly. I mean, once the vacations are over, we'll we'll. we'll preview spring practice sound like a good idea yeah yeah we'll get it rolling all right for andy bitter this is aaron mcfarling have a great day we'll see you next time